Lee Whitehorn, 44 years of age, father of two, married to Laura, siblings, Luke, Jay, Rachel and Jane. Uh, one father, two mums. That's me in a nutshell, footy coach. I look at myself as just the average, everyday, run-of-the-mill bloke. Why am I here today? Um, to talk about my diagnosis um, that I received, oh, not great with dates, but I'm going to say about six weeks ago. Um, and I was diagnosed uh, initially with a lesion, which I think is a nice word initially for a tumour or cancer. And I was diagnosed with a diffused glioblastema. All right, welcome to season two, episode 10 of the C Word podcast. My name's Luke. I'm sitting here with my broski, <laughs> with the older brother, <laughs> Leroy. How you doing, mate? Good, very full. Just went out to lunch with mum and went to a nice little Asian fusion place down at Henley Beach. Okay. And nice. um, probably ordered one too many dishes. <laughs> one too many wontons? <laughs> yeah, and... <laughs> As I was doing it, thinking, I probably don't need this beef cheek because yeah. I've got to go home and do a podcast mm. and I need to be able to sit comfortably, which I'm currently probably not sitting comfortably because I'm very full, <laughs> but happy, good feed. So Amazing. Yeah. Mm. And nice, uh, nice to have mum down there for the time yeah. being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you know, you always do in these sort of moments, I suppose, like everyone comes running. I've had mum and, um, and Laura's mum here sort of just chopping in and doing bits and pieces with the kids and mum and I haven't had really much time to it's pretty hard with two kids when I mean, you've got stuff going on to to have that time I guess so yeah so we have not caught up for a little while now actually I was looking at the uh the last time that we did uh, an episode and it's been been a hot minute um and I guess we've we've kind of got a fair bit to catch up on Let's maybe go back pre the first hospital visit a few weeks back. Sure. I've, um, uh, um, as you know, I'm not great with them, these type of details. So luckily <laughs> enough, my That's wife, what makes it colourful though, right? You just get to, yeah. <laughs> I get the message yeah. after from Laura going, well, not quite that. Not but quite okay. right. <laughs> yeah, no, so I've corrected that this time and said, babe, could you just put down a couple of notes so that I actually get um <laughs> you know, some things are right. So uh, she's done that for me, which is great. So I look uh, to give everyone a, just a bit of an update, I suppose, probably at our last conversation, I was, believe it or not, tracking as, as well as I'd felt for uh, a long time in terms of clarity of mind and vision and all those types of things that are quite often impacted on by brain tumours, depending on where they are. Yeah, it was feeling really, really good. And then probably for about a week and a half, prior to me being admitted in emergency a couple of weeks ago, I'd started back at the gym because I just thought I need to be doing something around stability and mobility and basic, you know, basic strength and that sort of stuff. And and I felt good, so I thought, you know, I'll get into this. To which I did, and first week was good. And then I had a little incident at the gym where I was getting a little bit dizzy when I was lowering my head sort of below, you know, like say into a sit-up position and then getting back up. Mm. had no headaches any anything like that but I was I was getting a little bit dizzy for me I thought it was just me being a little bit stubborn and going everything else feels fine so I'll just see how this goes over the next few days at the gym and 
then I started struggling with a couple of other things, just like a little bit of balance. And in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to get this looked at because my balance was not quite there. Mm. As much as I tried, it just wasn't quite there. And Laura being Laura is pretty, she knows. And she also knows that I'm a stubborn prick with this stuff. And she was on to me and I one morning I laid down and, we we're going to take the kids to school and I just said, I just can't. I'm really, really tired. And again, I didn't have a headache, but I just I was really tired. And she said, okay, you stay here. So in the interim, she's gone and dropped the kids to school. She's then rung my oncologist who said, get him to emergency. She's come home and said, all right, babe, we're going to go to emergency. I hadn't eaten breakfast and I went, I'm not going until I've eaten some porridge. Because if we're going to emergency, I know what happens there. I'll get some crap sandwich and barely anything else, and I'll be starving, and I need food in me before we go and do this. And she said, okay, well, just hurry up with your porridge. So we got that done and went to emergency, and then obviously, you know, everything starts to sort of escalate, and they were potentially just going to do a CT scan, and I, I thought, you know, they'll probably just give me some tablets for the swelling, for some steroids and so forth, and I'll be out of it. But I ended up staying overnight. They did an MRI, and then from there we got, you know, some basic results that were sort of didn't have a lot of clarity around them. They indicated that there was enormous swelling on the tumour side of my brain and they were not sure whether the growth in my new little tumour, I shouldn't say new because he's been around for a little while, whether or not there was significant growth or not in that space because very hard to tell when there's the image on your MRI shows enormous swelling. Mm. And obviously when you're pressing down on something, you know, like something the size of a golf ball all of a sudden looks like the size of a cricket ball because it's being pushed on. So it was hard to find that clarity. So we had a few days in between that and waiting for the results. And we also had a funny, you know, got to throw some humour in here somewhere. Um, The night that I spent in emergency was really weird. Because when my stepmum, who passed of cancer a few years ago, and she was in QEH for quite a while, the room she went into before she went into palliative care was the room that I went into that night. And I kind of had a bit of a giggle because I thought, you've got to be kidding me. What is going on here? I've got to find a funny side of this because (laughs) there has to be. That's a bit sobering. Yeah, it was. And... So I went in there and anyway, I was sharing a room with this old guy called Antonio and this Italian fella, very like strong in his his speech, you know, still spoke like he had just literally come out of some little village in Italy and is over here for a holiday yet. (laughs) He was in his 90s, early 90s and had lived here the majority of his life but still had this really strong Italian accent and, and all he wanted to do was start chatting to me and I'm laying there going, I've got all this stuff going on in my head at the moment. My wife's just had to go home to our children. I know I'm going to spend the night here on my own, which is what is what happens anyway. But obviously there's a lot of thinking and processing that goes on in that time and you kind of want to minimise it and get it out of the way so you can get asleep because you know it's going to be a long night. Anyway, this Antonio just kept chatting to me. I was like, oh, God, mate, just give me a rest. Then I thought to myself, do you know what? Just listen to this guy because obviously, for whatever reason, he's in a 
similar sort of position and he's he's stressed and he needs someone to talk to and he wants to offload and so I sat there and listened to him and and then he finally went to sleep but he left his TV on all night mm. and the nurses were like yeah he wakes up if he turns it off so I just <laughs> sleep there all night with Antonio's TV going on Antonio you're killing me <laughs> and I'm like oh mate and then he gets up in the morning and pushes his blind back and he goes I push the blind back I want to talk to you you know <laughs> Really bad Italian accent there, but he um, he wanted to chat to me, and I went, oh, goodness, again. I thought, I'll chat to him. So I had a chat to him, and Laura was on her way in. It was early. She was getting me breakfast. I said, get me anything. I'm starving. Just get me anything. And then I said to Antonio next to us, hey, mate, look, the food here is pretty crap. Would you like something? My wife's going to get some stuff. We'll, we'll get you some breakfast. Do you want a muffin? Do you want a decent coffee? And then he, he just started crying. I hung up from Laura and said, look, he doesn't want anything, but get a muffin just in case. And I said, are you okay? And he goes, I've been in this room for three months and no one of my family has come to visit me. They're all happy to put me into hospice or, or whatever and leave my home once I get out of out of here. And he goes, I haven't had anybody offer me something kind. Mm. So I was, that was quite a, um, I don't know if humbling is the right word, or but it was certainly a moment that gave me some clarity of mate you're not the only person going through something significant this Mm. poor old strong determined fellow that's going through a lot and sat in this space for three months on his own yet my wife's here first thing in the morning I've got people around me I've got people contacting me all that sort of stuff and he had nothing so Antonio had a reasonable um, little impact on me in 24 hours Um, good old Antonio and when I left he said to the nurses why you take him yeah, he's the first person I like in a long time and <laughs> can I keep him? It's like, Antonio, love you, glad I added something to you, but um, I am out of here as quick as I can, mate. So, yeah, so that was the trip into emergency, which was interesting and, and so forth. And then following that, we got scan results. and So that was on, just for clarity, that was on like the Thursday or Friday or something, right, yeah. at the end yeah. of the week. And then you had to wait until the following Tuesday to – meet with them again to, to go through it. And also for added kind of context to it, we looked at those scans after you'd got them and the, the swelling was significant. Like it was, Huge. I remember Laura sending it through and it's like for those, you know, listening in, it's, you know, where, where you would imagine to look at and if you hadn't seen it already, the, the scan where, you know, you kind of have that center part of your brain that runs through, it was pushed significantly to the left, basically. Like the swelling had pushed the center so far off. It was and almost pushing down into your neck a little bit, right? Yeah, it was pretty full on. So I guess to get to the point of it all, we had the initial scan where, and the results where our oncologist sat us down and and we went into this meeting going, we don't know what they're going to give us here. We're not 100% sure. We know what we're sort of looking at, but we don't know what they're going to tell us. So I could tell when we walked in there, it was going to be pretty brutal. Just what, the way uh, he was looking or the energy of the yeah, room? Yeah, he was really room. emotional. Okay. He's quite invested in us because I mm. think he has some belief in, in us and he and he has been mm. really good. And so we sat down and he sort of cut straight to the image and said, look, we've met with the whole team and this is really bad. This is, this is, this is really bad. So you're the small tumour that is near your... Um, where your brain allows 
itself to breathe. Mm. So when that closes off, you know, if you imagine it's a little door, if that door closes off because of the pressure, then as he put it, he said you'll effectively um, go to sleep. That's what will happen. And he said that could happen very quickly. Um, can't put a timeline on it, but if it said if it continues to accelerate, it's not something that would take weeks, days, like this would happen very, very quickly. So to sit there and sort of listen to that was like, oh, wow, what this is is pretty brutal. And I felt for him. I felt for him because I could see it was breaking his heart a little bit Mm. to give that information. And so we got through that and he said, look, we're going to meet again. The team's got to meet again because we've got to get further clarification on all of this stuff. So we'll have more information. So in the interim, he said, please don't be ignorant from here on in. If you feel anything, you need to tell me immediately. So anyway, we that sort of finished and I just had to, you know, you've got to sign out and everything. Mm. And I'm, I'm trying really hard not to look at Laura because... Well, it's it's very it's really hard to uh, to look at somebody that you love that much, knowing they've got to sit there and listen to that, mm-hmm. and and then leave there for her to try and be the strong one. And I think I started crying. In the lift, sorry <laughs> not to, but I, I, I just knew it was overwhelming and it was coming, and um, and I just wanted to get in the car and get home, and I just wanted to see my boys, and that sort of stuff. But we got out to the car park, and as much as I've got a bit of a tear telling it now, and I didn't think I would because I've, I've settled quite well over the last week. Things have, like I'm feeling good, and there's been some slightly optimistic options moving forward. So I'm in a much better space, but to sit down and I guess talk about this and relive this and think about that moment has has probably hit me a little bit harder than than I thought it would. But um, Laura and I just cried. We just cried in the car park and, um, and I thought to myself, God, what are people going to be thinking? And, like, I could barely hold myself up. Just from an emotional standpoint, I just couldn't hold it. I was just, you know, Laura had to get in the car and drive us home. And and it's a shit drive. It's horrible. She hates it. Yeah, she was telling Um, me about it. And She was like, you know how bad it is at the best of times? She's like, I had to drive there. I was like, oh, God. So, we, you know, and we had a bit of a giggle about that and had to tell mum and so forth. And I just, I couldn't tell people yet particularly mum, like I just, I needed, and this might sound selfish, but to, for me to get through this stuff and and to get my, my head right and level and I need space mm-hmm. and I need to think about it 
and I need to think about how I feel and how I'm going to speak to somebody and I need to think about what role I might want them to play and, and all of these things. And you can't do that immediately when you are just incredibly overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So I had the way today to speak to mum. Even though Laura was, you got to speak to her now, I said, I can't, I just can't. Mm. I, ju- I just can't. Like I'm struggling to even look at my wife at the moment because I just am. But we came home and we ordered Indian from Bollywood, as you know. And <laughs> Amazing. And uh, Bollywood produced the goods and uh, gave us a good feed and we were all sort of a, a little bit better. And then we thought, you know, well, we tell Claire tomorrow, but we told her uh, then, which was pretty hard. Um, and a million things are running through my, my mind at that stage going, like I've been really strong throughout this process and positive and, but to then sort of get there and sit there and have to, yeah, like I said, try and look at my wife and think, I'm not ready to to leave you. I'm not mm. ready to leave anywhere um, yet, but I'm, I'm actually going to have to have a really good uh, sort of look at this. So anyway, we then had um, a follow-up appointment with um, Abbas and he went, spoke to the MDT, which is the team he spoke to prior to that initial interview. And he said, look, you know, there's options for surgery, but that more than likely would be quite, I guess, catastrophic would be the term I would use. Mm-hmm. Not something that you would want. You know, it might be something and they go, well, that gives you two years. But I'd have two years of being completely useless to everyone and a burden. Mm-hmm. And I don't ever want to be that. But then he came back and said, there's a radio, like, so they've talked about radiotherapy having it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, we've, after speaking to everyone, there's a, they want to go ahead with this um, a different treatment, which is stereotactical radio surgery, which sounds amazing, doesn't it? Yeah, it's very futuristic. <laughs> so it's effectively like radiotherapy, but instead of covering a whole space, it's like bringing everything down and just firing it like one tiny shot at this particular part, which is the part that's causing grief. And his language while speaking through that was, we think we can get a bit of it with this treatment and that will give us a little window and then we might give it a second whack and maybe a third depending on how I go with it because mm-hmm. there's potential for it to have, you know, like it might have an impact on my like balance, those types of things. When you consider that, I'm comfortable with that type of stuff. I can manage that because I know that that's happened previously and I've recovered from that because your brain has a great capacity too. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm happy for that. And it was, so having that second meeting was actually for us, as small as that window is, it's still a window. And we left and went, okay, that's what we've been needing over the last few days to hear something like that. And I've been back onto um, Lamastine chemo um, every six weeks and uh, Avastin infusions as well. So sort of getting the whole the whole whack at the moment. So if this little if this little super laser can go in and get some of the bottom part of this tumour, I don't know, maybe it might do something. Maybe it might be enough to scare the shit out of this thing and stop it for a while or send it in retreat and give us some space in in um in that area, I suppose. So mm-hmm. um 
as much as the last couple of weeks have been yeah, pretty horrific, I suppose. That one little bit of positivity popped through the other day. And that all starts on Monday. I've got my first meeting. We're probably quite blessed to get offered that opportunity because it's an incredibly expensive one that we don't have to pay for. And it's, I guess they wouldn't be doing this if they didn't think it was some sort of opportunity. So I'm looking at it with some positivity that this is going to give me a little chance and that's what I'll need. And then, and then we work from there and see what happens now. I'm not stupid. I know that that doesn't mean it's going to buy me some infinite amount of time, but I don't care. I just need an opportunity. That's how I look at it right now. I just need that little window to open up because we haven't had many of those to, that have opened up, to be honest. Most of what we've talked about has been, you know, I've had a bit of not where it's held, but then the majority of it's been growth, but I've been able to manage and deal with it as I've gone. Mm. But this is as serious as it's ever as it's ever been. So, um, yeah, that's where we're at at the moment. So I don't know if I've made any sense. You've made complete sense. I am just sitting here and uh, and equally processing at the same time because it's, yeah, like I said, it's a lot to... Um, it's a lot to have to, I don't know, it's a lot to have to hear and listen and go through as someone who's not even, you know, who's not even going through it, you know, I can't imagine. And I guess in my head, I'm I'm then thinking, you know, we set this up originally <clears throat> as a podcast to kind of talk people through it, to go through that, that journey. And it was always with that um, bout of optimism and um, and I guess throughout it all, you kind of have, I don't know, the hope that there's uh, great things that would come. And I guess the conversation that you and I had had um, during the week and the other day was really around, I guess, taking a moment to reflect and, and look at, I guess, the grace of time that has been given already, you know, afforded already based on the statistics and based on um, what's gone on. It's been, what, two and a half years yeah, that, since the original. Yep. And there's... Um, the incredible grace of time in terms of the statistics and once you get over that two-year mark how 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 few get beyond there you know what i mean uh who are going through that same thing so where does where i, I mean i don't even know it probably seems like a stupid question to even ask but where does your head go how often does it go there how do you bring yourself back online what does the word optimism even mean at this point because there's plenty of people out there who would be in this space, whether it's on my side of the fence or yours, uh, you know, for a loved one or as the loved one. Uh, optimism is what you make of it, I suppose. And we've probably always spoken about that. It is. It's it's what you want to make of it, and and how you process it, and how you manage it. And look for me that doesn't mean you jump around and be ignorant and go. I've got this, this is done, like I'll, I'll knock it on the head. For me, it gets back to just understanding clearly where I'm at and then with the opportunities given to you, like this new treatment, I'm optimistic because it gives me an opportunity. There's an opportunity to get rid of some of it in that space. You don't know what's going to happen from there. It might actually have a greater effect than they anticipate. For me, for doctors to speak with any positivity in that space, must mean there's there's some belief on their end that they'll get a a little window that's big enough to sort of have another chip at it. And, and like I said, it might cause some stability stuff for me, but I have a belief in that space that I'll rebuild that if I 
get this opportunity. And if I don't, then I just have to be accustomed to a new me. I might be in a space where I can't just pick my kids up and throw them in the air. But I believe I'm capable of making the most of this opportunity over the next week in terms of treatment. I believe that I am. And that comes from you. It doesn't come from doesn't come from anybody else. Doesn't come from words. It won't come. You know, people can listen to me and go, "I'll take optimism from him." It's yourself. You can listen to other people and you can take some sort of drive from it, or a purpose, or that optimism has got to come from from you. And having that belief in myself that I can that I'll recover from this treatment well, um, and then that gives my body the, the best opportunity to. You know, heal quickly and recover quickly, and it means whatever dose of treatment they give me next is my body's in a good position to to do that. So it's still a lot of that mental awareness and health in that space, I suppose that that you need to have. So getting a good sleep, you know, it took me a week where I'd wake up at yeah. two o'clock each night. I'd lie there and you know, like a weirdo, stare at my wife and quite literally <laughs> stare at her for two hours. <laughs> and That's understandable. And, I haven't told her that yet, so when she hears this, <laughs> probably think I'm creepy, but I would sort of literally do that. And then I got back to a point where I was getting five, six, seven hours of sleep. And then when you know, I spoke to the doctor, her oncologist, about this when he gave us the next bit of information about the treatment that would be coming. He said, are you sleeping well? You feel? I said, yeah, I am. I'm actually feeling good. And he goes, good. Okay, well, that formal indicators, that means the swelling is disappearing and so that's good. But it's really hard to say when it comes and when it goes. Things can trigger you. I just try and make them as short as I possibly can, I suppose. I certainly haven't been the most, you know, happy and positive um, individual over the past couple of weeks. But um, like I just spoke to, you know, with mum then, I'm looking forward to next week for when there's more silence around this place, our house, in terms of less people and getting this process started and getting back into our little routine. And again, that might sound selfish, but for me, that's how I deal with this stuff. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I get my clarity. That's how I get my direction. That's how I get my balance. They're probably the things I'd, I'd say to people. Find your balance, whatever it is. Find your sleep when you can. Be healthy to your body. Even in moments like this, be healthy, be good. You know, Give everything a chance. Don't just shut the door on it because if this little opportunity that I've got at the moment turns into a bigger opportunity and I haven't given it everything, then that's on me and that's my fault. So I've got to do that just out of respect for the people around me that I love and for myself. I've got to give it. And the people that are investing, you know, these doctors and and nurses that I would never want my kids to work in this industry. I would never want to be in this industry because it's heartbreaking. Um, and it's hard, and like I said, watching watching our oncologists be quite emotional was a fair bit the other day. So, so that's sort of what's gone on over the last, um, I guess, over the last couple of weeks in terms of that. Where I'm at at the moment, I feel really good. I might not have sounded it before when I was having a bit of a tear, but we haven't spoken about this stuff in this space, but I'm feeling quite positive about where I'm at. I know it's going to be a lot with this new therapy, but I have genuine belief in my body's ability and my brain's ability to recover from this stuff, and and I'm looking forward to it. 
looking forward mm. to the opportunity and and seeing what I can make of it. I want to get my boy to school on Monday and get him started and back with his mates, even though he had his sixth birthday last week and uh, he had the best day, the biggest day. It was, it was amazing. That was a really emotional day for me because it was after hearing that language from the doctor only a week ago. This is at a point where it could come really quickly. The night before was really hard to sleep there because I just, in my head, I'm like, I just got to get through to his birthday. I just want to see his birthday. And on that day, one of his best mate, William, young lad, his mum's been ill with cancer for quite a long time. And um, she passed away while her son was at Max's birthday with his dad. And he told me. He wasn't going to tell me because he didn't want to tell me. But I could see that he was struggling and I, I just I knew that something was wrong and I went I've got to go over and see him and I went over and this is in the middle of like you know <laughs> there's 50 people in this space for a kid's birthday and he told me what had happened and um and I just had to go outside because I thought oh god this is gonna this is gonna tear me a bit here I said what are you doing here then and he said this is what Carol want that's what she wanted. She felt really blessed that our two boys going through what they're going through, me going through what I'm going through and Max, Will going through what he went through with his mum, she felt quite comforted and good that these two boys had met each other through school and were, but, you know, at the moment, as you say, when you're six, you're best mates. Yeah. They're best mates. It's In a way, it was a, like a heartwarming Feeling, and she wanted him to be there. She wanted him to be at the birthday party. It's pretty gutsy. It's pretty courageous. It's pretty, it's pretty selfless. And and he had a great day. Like Will had a good, a great day. He didn't find out until the following day, but he had a great day. The boys had a great day, and and I got through the day and all that sort of stuff. And we got to the end, and and then he had a follow up birthday the next day, and and since then we've had Will come around with his dad. I didn't come around yesterday for the afternoon just to the kids to spend some time and, and Max has found out about Will's mum and mm. and for all the pride and love you have for your children, for whatever reasons, Max's response to this has been just really, really beautiful. He was, I said, right, Will's coming around and we're going to have some lunch and you're going to have a play. Do you want hamburgers? Because Will loves, for whatever reason, Will loves the hamburgers I make. He won't eat the ones that his dad that his dad makes, but he'll eat the ones that I make. He goes, "Oh no, Dad, I don't want hamburgers again." And then he said, "No, actually, do you know what? It's what Will wants. If hamburgers are going to make him happy, let's have hamburgers for Will because it's you know." And this is a six-year-old, and I thought, for all the thoughts I've had about you know what impact do you have on your kids, will you have on your kids? Just that little moment for me was really nice. I thought, well, I am having an impact on him because his first thought there was not about himself. His first thought was about what can he do for his mate. It was really nice. So, yeah, that's another one to throw in over the over the last week. It's been big. Well, I guess from here we uh, have next week's to come and then we will continue to do updates for anyone who doesn't. Uh, follow along we do have the c word podcast on instagram and and laura's very good at giving some updates on there because i know you know there's 
we've obviously got you know lots of family and friends who are equally invested and it's it was equally designed as a, a platform to be able to update and let people know that way uh, as well as to what's happening uh, yeah. versus inundated with messages and calls and all that sort of stuff so um might feel slightly impersonal in that way but it's uh it's very intentional yes we also did forget say. i'll just quickly throw this in there gotta have some yeah. humor in here somewhere it can't be just all of this but well the humor like the other day when i rang you and i said what are you doing <laughs> you said even on your bloody deathbed you've still got to cook dinner <laughs> I said, well, too something. bad. You're the bloody nonna around that place. Of course you are. You gotta be. You gotta be busy doing something. But um, because <laughs> Will's not wrong. Your hamburgers are great. <laughs> <laughs> so, since all of this went sort of, um, you know, pear shaped and whatnot, and and even just before that, actually, like, not we had people wanting to drop off food. <laughs> Dropping off food is a gesture of love. That's what food is. It's love. Like it's. That's how I look at it anyway. Because it's one of life's greatest joys is to eat beautiful food and enjoy and the other one is to give or to make for someone i've always as you know with me like i've always Mm -hmm. loved that as well because it is a joy so anyway we've had a number of people drop things off and i've sort of got to the point with laura where and these are lots of laura's friends that have dropped it off and then a few of mine and and they've all been lasagnas So I've come to the conclusion that lasagna is the food of love. <laughs> me being me, I was like, well, they better be good <laughs> if we're going to eat them. So I, I had a little bit of a judge-off between, and I'm not going to say who's won, but I've had a bit of a judge-off and Laura's gone, you should just be thankful for all of them. I said, I am. I'm incredibly thankful and it's it's wonderful. It's beautiful. But I'm still going to judge the lasagnas and what's come through it, I was thinking, geez, I should be writing a book about this, about the, lo- about the love of lasagna. The love um, language of lasagna, I love it. Yeah, there's got to be something out there for it that's significant. Even to um, one of the people that Laura works with, Phil dropped some food over the other day and he and his partner love their food. I thought, I can't eat any more pasta. Like, I can't eat any more carbs. I need protein, but I can't. So he dropped over a tortilla like lasagna, effectively. So it's just made with tortillas instead. So it's lit. and it was bloody good. It was great. <laughs> he got top ratings. <laughs> oh look, I will say, yeah, Phil's at the top. So, um, <laughs> but we've now had to buy a freezer to go in the garage so that we can freeze all this food that's been given to us because <laughs> we've got so much of it. And yeah, it's funny how um, yeah, food becomes that language of love. People they when they don't know what to do or say, mm, mm. they give and they give you food. Um, yeah. And we've had great food, but we've probably had too much good stuff. Too many brownies, <laughs> too many muffins, too many cakes. I thought you said um, you're being good to your buddy. <laughs> uh, I have been, we, but we did have a little period of three or four days where uh, lasagna, brownies, and muffins were um, pretty popular. So good. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you're on steroids, it's it's great because you're, uh, you know, you're extra hungry anyway, so <laughs> you might but as well take advantage of it. Out of all the things people could give, if I had 12 different dishes delivered to our house, I'm going to say 11 of them have been lasagna. <laughs> they're easy. They're practical. You leave it in the fridge for a few days and you can whack it into the, into the freezer. You can grab right. it out when you need to. Lasagna. Oh, lasagna is comfort and love if done well. It's delicious. Yeah. 
Well, good on those people. Thank you, everyone, for uh, being so kind and generous. And um, yeah, right. Well, thanks for the update. I guess we'll continue on from here. Yep, I'll. Um, I reckon we aim for one post radiation, the supersonic, um, supersonic hypercalifristic spielidocious. Yes, <laughs> let's just run with that because it sounds yeah. good. Stereo tactical radio surgery. It's good. It almost sounds like some sort of duftuf song, doesn't it? Stereo tactical radio surgery. Something that you would have listened to back when you were. Twenty mid nineties or something, you know. Yeah, down at yeah, one of the be. one of the pubs along Henley Beach. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Probably thinking that's some cool sort of duff duff music. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so we'll do an update on that and see how I've responded. And to everyone else out there that's going through whatever they're going through, just find a way to pick yourself up, find those little opportunities, those little windows, whatever they are, make the most of them. More importantly, just make every day a good day as long as 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 much as you can doesn't have to be a good day for 100% because you're always going to have a little bit of a downtime. But if you find something that smiles or find something that makes you happy, don't sit there and be sad. Find a reason to smile and be happy with it because there are many people across, many families across the world, and I see many people going to treatment on their own that don't have or get that opportunity and just go through this process of, of illness. And I can only imagine how lonely and horrible that would be. So if you're in a position where you are surrounded by people and love, then continue to give it and continue to accept it because it's one of life's unconditional things that doesn't cost anything but is the most rewarding thing that you'll ever do and give. A wonderfully spiritual, essential, life-giving thing that we can uh, receive and offer to the world. 